What does the Tenth Commandment, the Pain Olympics, social justice, and circumcision have in common? Well, our continuing discussion on Cassie J's documentary, The Red Pill. Are you just watching? Episode 83, The Red Pill, Part 2. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're continuing a discussion that we started in episode 82 on The Red Pill, which is a documentary by Cassie J. And if you haven't heard the first installment, go back and listen to it because we are going to pick up right where we left off. So it was a cliffhanger. We were talking about the women uh, climbing down off of their own pedestal and climbing up the base of the men's pedestal and trying to knock them off mm-hmm. of it so they can stand on it. It really does come down to a question of whether or not the grass is actually greener on the other side of the fence type thing. <laughs> yeah, sort of like that. Because when you're talking about looking at what other people have and wanting it, that comes down to a very important verse, actually a very important passage in the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to God giving his Ten Commandments to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And one of those commandments was, Thou shalt not covet. And I'm going to read it. It's Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or, and here's the important word, anything that is your neighbor's. That's anything. I mean, that kind of anything. Much, yeah, mm. kind of covers pretty much everything, doesn't it? Yeah, sure <laughs> does. And I think that that anything kind of encapsulates even the things that we look at our neighbor and and say, "I'm better," or "I want that," or "I can trump that." And this is where we get into the the pain Olympics. That yeah. And and you you want to know where I got that term, the pain Olympics? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't remember hearing it in the uh, documentary. It wasn't in the documentary. It's been a few weeks now, but I had a two and a half hour uh, discussion with a friend of mine. She's now become a very good friend. And I may eventually put the two and a half hour conversation in our feed so other people can talk about it because I recorded it. And she is an atheistic, feminist, leftist, uh, liberal that lives out on the West Coast in, you know, the fruits and nuts territory of <laughs> Oregon and California. Fruits she, and nuts territory. Yeah, yeah. She came across our podcast uh, over a couple of years ago now and wanted to start her own podcast. And we did a recording in which she lost her side of it and I only had my side. So we weren't able to do anything with it. But it was a very valuable conversation for both of us. We got to just talk to each other and her whole point was that she wanted to just listen. And the thing about that was she listened. And I think I ended up changing her mind on some things because (laughs) two years later, we have another discussion and we talk literally for over two hours. And I let her drive the conversation every in in the direction she wanted to go because she kind of had some thoughts going in. And most of it was on politics and, and social matters. And it turns out she's kind of edging her way over to the conservative side of things and to the point that she's having a hard time having talks with her liberal friends about some topics because she understands the conservative point of view now. Yeah. And she started listening to conservative um, speakers and pundits. And 
actually understanding the issues from that perspective. And it's kind of changing the way she she views politics anyway. And I asked her about the red pill because it was something I was working on for these recordings. And turns out, you know what her occupation was before she became a stay-at-home mom? No. She was a social worker. Oh, interesting. And she worked in uh, women's shelters. And hmm. so I asked her about the the thing that was raised in the red pill about men being abused. And she says, oh, yeah. She says, we had to turn them away over and over and over again. And, and she made a point of telling me that it wasn't just men. Well, it, it was men being abused by women that they had to turn away. There was also men being abused by men in homosexual relationships and transgender mm-hmm. relationships as well. So our changing idea of what a relationship is in our culture has even increased the amount of, you know, domestic space where men can be abused. And so... Sure, it's it's not like people are any less fallen. Yeah. You know, it, because they're in a, what you and I would consider to be a non-traditional relationship. Right. And the thing is, is that while I was talking to her, we were dealing with multiple issues. I I talked about the red pill with her, but one of the things she kept asking me was, you know, this this point of intersectionality, you know, how would you deal with um, a black person? And um, don't can't you understand their pain and, and recognize that every time they come into a conversation, they have a certain amount of pain that they bring into that relationship if you're not of their group. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about this whole need to trump another's pain. And she says, yeah, it's definitely the pain Olympics. And that was her term. And I and I just really hit on that as being, you know, that's what it turns into. It's like this competition to see who has the most pain, who's victimized the most. And instead of listening to each other, which is what we were practicing in this, you know, com- two and a half hour conversation, mm-hmm. we tend to yell at each other. And I think we dealt with this a little bit in the last episode we were talking about as Christians, we're supposed to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And that is where we as a culture are not, we're not doing that. We're, we're not listening to each other. We're not empathizing with each other. Instead, we're looking at other people and comparing ourselves to them. And so we, right. we are coveting. And it, and it goes back to that grass is always greener on the other side because we're, we are, we're not looking at what we have and counting our own blessings. We're looking at what other people have and it's making us discontent. Yeah, it's such a small step to go from empathy to uh, one-upsmanship, mm-hmm. where you want to compare it to the trials and tribulations that you have faced. Like um, one guy says, I had to have my wisdom teeth removed, and you'll inevitably have some guy say, oh, I I had to have all four of mine removed, and two of them were impacted. Yeah, I had to have mine cut out. That hurt. Yeah. And then it got infected, and uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's it, you know you, you want to be able to uh, it. It starts out wanting t- to offer empathy, but it becomes a competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that competition actually goes back to wanting to hold the position of being most oppressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of a strange a strange way to look at life, but if you examine our society right now that's what's going on it's like we're all subgrouping into these little groups of victims and yeah. and fighting over who's oppressed more 
And we live in the freest society in the world. Yeah. And we have so much going for us as a culture. We are the richest people. Even our poorest people in the United States are rich compared to the poorest, the richest people in some other third world country. Yeah. And we, instead of looking around and looking at our blessings and counting how blessed we are to live in this about, I would say, as close to ideal as you can get in a fallen world system of society Mm -hmm. and government. We are. It's done pretty well for us. Yeah, it's gone. I mean, we are so blessed and we spend so much time fighting with each other and competing with each other over who's the most oppressed. And it's ridiculous. (laughs) It's just absolutely ridiculous. So then comes the question, oh, how do Christians deal with the intersectionality debate? Because our natural instinct is to pick a side and champion it, right? Yep. That that seems, and that's what the SJWs do, and they exist in the church as well as in society. Sure. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know what SJWs stand for. Now I use it all the time. <laughs> uh, it's For those who may not know, it is Social <laughs> Justice Warrior, an acronym. <laughs> yes, it's an acronym. They exist in the church because some people feel like, some Christians feel like if they aren't championing the oppressed, they are not uh, performing the, the command in, in um, James, where it says if religion, the pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And it's, that's just one of the places that's mentioned in the New Testament that we are supposed to care for the orphan and the widow. So we get this, this um, picture in our mind of being, you know, the social justice warrior who goes out and writes all the wrongs, you know. Yeah. And justice is in, is ingrained in our belief system. I mean, it, it is a command mm-hmm. of God. Right. Uh, in Isaiah, we're instructed to learn to do what is good, pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. That's mm-hmm. Isaiah one seventeen. Right. And in, in Micah, it says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's an awesome responsibility as Christians to do that. But I think that our natural instinct in some of these intersectionality debates is to pick an underdog and champion it without figuring out which side we really should be on, or whether we should even choose a side when there's two sides fighting over a bone. Do we, take, yeah. do we take the bone away and give it only to one side, or do we cut the bone in half and give them each half? You know, how do we choose <laughs> who gets the bone? You know? It is so rare that one side is right and the other side is wrong. Right. I mean, it's the, the story of Solomon and the, uh, the two mothers is the exception, not the rule. <laughs> yeah. And because of that, I feel like that we've kind of allowed our Christian communities to divide up on these intersectionality boundaries. Yeah. And I think we need a reminder because in Galatians three twenty eight it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither a slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And the thing that we lose track of as Christians in this society where we are fighting over inconsequentialities. I mean, they, they may seem like really massive things, but as I just said, we are so blessed in the United States. So 
a lot of these things that we're fighting over are not as big of issues as we think they are. But we lose track of the fact that Christ is the equalizer. Yeah. And if you're working off of a worldly, fleshly understanding of what oppression is and what justice is, then all you're going to do is create a focus on on a negative because they're always going to be conscious of what they don't have. And if you give them that, then they look at the next thing they don't have. And if you give them that, then they look at the next thing they don't have. Instead of breeding the contentment that comes in Christ and counting your blessings and what, where God has put you and using that to be a help for others in the same circumstance. So it comes down to uh, yet another case of idolatry, mm -hmm. putting your issue up on a pedestal and worshiping the reaction that it gets out of you. Mm. Christ could solve so many woes in our culture and instead, we focus on, you know, the, the little bones that they're fighting over instead of giving them Christ. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like when Jesus left us, the thing he told us to do is probably the hardest thing in the world, especially when we're focusing on other things. He, he told us to spread the gospel. Mm -hmm. He didn't tell us to right all the wrongs. He told us to spread the gospel. His final thing that he told the disciples to do is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he didn't say go and right all the so social wrongs. He didn't say <laughs> go and, and stop all injustices. He said, go and make disciples of them. And this is where I always get hung up when somebody tries to tell me that I have the wrong perspective on some SJW cause, because I I have this natural reaction against SJW causes. I typically, it's a reactionary thing that I need to work on because it's not empathetic to look at somebody else's woes and say, just grow up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just mature. Um, it might be cathartic, but it's not empathetic. <laughs> right, it's not empathetic. So I, I admit that my responses tend to be a little, um, or maybe a lot um, harsh, mm. harsher than they should be. But here's the deal. God did not command us as Christians to right all the social wrongs. He commanded us as Christians to make disciples. Yeah. And... Why has that changed things? Because if you go into a poor neighborhood, let's say in in segregated Chicago, which is not supposed to be segregated, but sometimes it seems like neighbors neighborhoods segregate themselves. It's just yeah, seems it, to it happens based off of uh, economic uh, factors. Right. You go into these places, and what happens if you just hand out money on the streets? Uh, that money vanishes. Uh, yeah. Quickly. Very quickly. But what happens if you share the gospel on those streets? It's, I'm it's, going to guess the gospel doesn't vanish. I, well, the thing is, is that if it takes root in a prepared heart mm -hmm. and it grows and it makes a disciple and that person then finds contentment in Christ, quits fighting for the injustices in his life and instead turns around and turns empathy and compassion onto his neighbor, shares the gospel with that neighbor, that neighbor. As he grows in sanctification. And yeah. he, as he grows in sanctification, that root 
of the gospel takes root in someone else's prepared heart and it spreads. And then with that contentment and that peace and that joy that arises from having Christ in their hearts, it changes the attitude of an entire community. And when the attitude of that entire community changes and puts God first, then the fighting stops. And with the, when the fighting stops, a lot of the injustices evaporate. Because people actually take a moment to sit and listen to each other. Right. And to me, I just feel like sometimes, and, and I'm just as much to blame as anybody because sharing the gospel is so hard. Especially yeah. when you're in a situation where, I mean, street preachers have such a horrible reputation, you know, standing on the corners of streets and, and preaching to people who really don't want to stop and listen. But that's what, in a way, we're commanded to do is, I mean, yeah, go and feed the hungry. I mean, James tells us that faith without works is dead, that if we see a need, we should be filling it. But it's not just filling the need, it's sharing the gospel. Because if you feel the need and you don't share the gospel, then it's a temporary need fixed. Mm -hmm. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, where he says, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. The other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But then the sun came up and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears, who has ears listen. The common thing here is that the seed was sowed. Right. And, and it's not up if to we're the... not sowing the seed, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to grow. Yeah, well, it's not on the sower you know, to yeah. determine the type of ground that he's sowing the seed on. And and that's why I made the point of saying a prepared heart, because yeah, it's not exactly. us. It's not us that prepares the heart. It's God. And we're just told to sow the seed. And the thing about that is, is that we end up creating this, this community that's all equal in Christ so that we're no longer comparing ourselves. And Go back to that Galatians verse where, you know, it's not Jew or Greek. That's talking about nationality. We have, um, we live in the mixing pot, but yet we still fight over nationality here in the United States. And most of us, immigration is an issue. The color of skin is an issue when it shouldn't be. We're all one blood from, descended from Adam and Eve and Noah and, and the eight people on the ark. We were all one blood. We're all related. So those shade of skin shouldn't matter. And in, in Christ, it doesn't, because there are Christians all over the world in every community. We don't have to worry about that. In Christ, we're all equal. And then it's slave or free. It doesn't matter whether we're an employer or an employee or mm -hmm. an involuntary employee. <laughs> <laughs> A little sidebar. I just recently rewatched uh, Thor Ragnarok. It's now on hmm. Netflix. And he didn't like, remember the, I can't even remember now what he was called, the game master, whatever he was. Um, didn't like the word slave, so it was oh. involuntary employee or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I need to rewatch that. I haven't <laughs> seen it since the theater. Well, it's it's on Netflix now, but... Yeah. So, slaver-free refers to our lot in life, whether we are right. at the, the bottom of, of the social classes or we are at the top of the social classes, which in the period of time that this letter was written in Rome, that 
slave and free was pretty much the exact opposite on the class scale. The slave was the bottom. And if you were a free citizen of Rome, which Paul was, you were Mm -hmm. near, you were the top about the only thing higher would be the emperor himself because uh, Rome was a republic. So anybody who was a free citizen was equal. There is no male or female. This kind of destroys the whole gender debate. For some reason, the outside world seems to think that in Christianity, females, women are not valued and are somehow uh, enslaved, or I, I guess the modern terminology is barefoot and pregnant, yeah. and uh, and serving the man. There are aspects of that, and we dealt with that with the last episode, the you know the Christian ideal for what how a relationship should work. But that's an equal sacrifice of our own personal rights and wants into a relationship mm-hmm. because that's the only way a relationship would work is when you sacrifice your own needs and wants for the benefit of the other. And if both are doing that, then both are benefiting. And so it's equal. And, and yeah. that's why we can say that male or female, there is no male or female in Christ because we are both joint heirs in the grace of um, grace that is bestowed upon us through Christ's sacrifice mm-hmm. and the forgiveness of our sins. And we have a complementary relationship in marriage, but in eternity, there is no male or female. There's no giving of, of marriage. We are all equal citizens of the kingdom. And so we are equal in Christ. And th- it kind of destroys that whole, pretty much every intersectionality debate that arises in our culture today is covered in that verse. Yep. And that's the nice thing is that as Christians, it's supposed to represent unity in uh, in the body of believers. Yeah. And then that's trumped on top of that on focusing on what Christ tells us to do in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, which this is, I, I memorized a long time ago, the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't practice it as much as I should. So I can't just rattle it off the top of my head like I would like to. But I memorized it because when when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was telling us how to internalize our faith. Because prior to Jesus, the the Jewish community lived on a um, set of laws that they externally followed. And a lot of them externally followed them in a way that wasn't necessarily cleansing to their heart. So if if you looked on the outside, they looked like a washed vessel, but inside they were filthy, rotten, and and filled with filth. And yeah. that, and that was the way Christ described them to their faces in some instances. <laughs> but this is the Sermon on the Mount. It was taking all of those rules and regulations, and he was turning them into inside out, so that this is this is the way we serve each other, not for external reasons, but for for the grace and the the peace of living internally pure lives. And when we look at the debates that happen in intersectionality, it's easy for us not only to choose a side and champion, but to try and pick a side that we ourselves are victims in and to, to become the victim and then join a group and say, Hey, I'm being wronged. And this is what Christ says to that. So mm-hmm. this is Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Hmm. That is so hard. When you look, when you. (laughs) Hard is probably an understatement. (laughs) Well, the thing about it is in our culture today, we spend so much time fighting the people who offend us. I mean, offense is like the number one uh, crime in our culture right now. I think it almost trumps all other crimes. If you offended (laughs) somebody, then, you know, you, you, you should be shot. This is the thing as Christians is we should not take offense. We should pray for those who persecute us. We should turn the other cheek. We should not sue people. I mean, that one's really hard when you feel like you've been wronged. Yeah. You should freely give of the largest that God has given you because we are blessed beyond measure. That's also extremely hard because you always look at what you have and go, I just have enough. I don't have any extra. Yeah. But we're supposed to give to those who beg and refuse not anyone who asks to borrow from you. I mean, that's a little hard. And we're we're supposed to strive to be perfect, which is not possible, but we should strive for it. And I think that, that if, if each of us who have the light of the Holy Spirit in us strive on a daily, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis to put those truths in the forefront of our our hearts so that we react as Christ would react. I think that that would solve a lot of our ills in our culture today because if we're spreading the gospel and spreading that light to other people and we find contentment in what we have ourselves, it's pretty much an answer to this whole intersectionality debate on all sides. It's all a question of where your focus is Mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty easy to lose focus. But it all comes down to staying focused on God and enjoying him. Yeah, and I think that there were a lot of things raised in in this documentary that could have been fixed with the gospel. I mean, I almost feel like we, if we could just sit down with some of these men who are, have suffered wrongs in their life. Don't get me wrong, I, I do see it. Just as much as I I see women who have been sexually assaulted and, you know, the ones that break my heart are the little girls that are assaulted by family members Mm -hmm. and they, they're not able to, to know what it's like to be pure because they're despoiled before they're even old enough to know what the word means. Yeah. And it's a tough world. It's a tough and evil world we live in. And the only hope, the only light is Christ. And if if we aren't answering all of these questions with Christ, then we're giving them the wrong answer. You know, there's a scene near the end of the movie where they're talking about a men's rights group uh, was having a meeting, I think, somewhere in, in Canada. And the protesters pulled the the fire alarm, forcing everybody out of the building. And uh, it has a video clip uh, of one of the 
the feminist protesters and one of the the MRAs uh, who were who was in the meeting, and it looks like they're having a discussion, except the feminist protester in this case uh, could probably have gone the other way just as easily, was talking but not listening. And she kept and, shutting up the uh, the guy. <laughs> yeah, rather, rather vilely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to really quickly call to attention that, that uh, as Christians, we're given instructions on uh, how we should be behaving even in disagreement. And mm-hmm. uh, there's... Three in particular, um, Ephesians four twenty nine says, "No foul language should come from your mouth, uh, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear." Mm. And uh, that really is uh, a, an important focus: is anything we say in a disagreement should be with the uh, with the intention of building up and and helping. Uh, not only the person we're talking to, but anybody who might overhear it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in James 1, uh, 19 through 20, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And I think I mentioned this one mm-hmm. in, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. It speaks to the representation that we are as representatives of God. Mm-hmm. And finally, Proverbs uh, fifteen eighteen, because uh, when it comes to pithy wisdom, Proverbs is uh, the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> thanks, thanks. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are really, those really are words to live by. It, it's... Uh, it's. I mean, just last weekend, uh, I got my dander up and and my my temper rose when somebody who was supposed to be doing something to uh, to support a project I was on didn't do it, and man, did it stir up conflict. Mm. And if I had just, uh, you know, <laughs> if I had just been a little slow to slower to anger, it would have uh, prevented problems. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, it's this kind of representation that as Christians, where we should be following these strictures and be better images, better mirrors of, of, uh, of God's righteousness and, and loving grace. Yeah. I think there's another one that in Proverbs, a soft answer turneth away wrath or turns away mm-hmm. wrath. We should not be the aggressor as Christians. We should never be the aggressor. In, in a situation where even if people get in your face, it's not it's not our role to be the first to throw the punch, you know. And I mean, I just read earlier, it's like we're supposed to turn the other cheek. So not only are we not supposed to be the first to pull, pull a punch, we're not supposed to punch back. Even after yeah. punch, we're supposed to turn the other cheek and let them punch the other one. It's not easy. And if we're living in the world and in the flesh instead of in submission to the Holy Spirit, we're going to fail. And thankfully, God does not punish us for that. Or I, I shouldn't say he probably does. He, there are instances where he would punish us, but some of that punishment is just living through the consequences of our own 
there's always discipline. There's always discipline and there's consequences for bad behavior. But at the same time, he does forgive. So even when we flub it up, we can we can get forgiveness. But I think that part of flubbing it up is being aware that we said something wrong or we retaliated when we shouldn't have. And in Christian fortitude, asking forgiveness of the person that we wronged, um, even if they started it out by wronging us first. And, and if, that is hard to do. That's very hard to do. I know that this applies to what we see in this in this documentary, it's just that the people that are all involved in that, I don't think there was a single mention of any kind of faith. And I, I feel like that's because the people who involve themselves in these kind of debates are not Christians. I don't know. Um, I would certainly say that the some of the more um, vile protesters, uh, which are the ones that stick out so starkly mm-hmm. in my recollection of the the viewing. Uh, I would say that they are not believers. They certainly don't have any fruit. <laughs> they don't bear any fruit. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, you know, some of the women in the honey badgers, uh, the, those were some of the, the nicest conversations were the, the honey bad, the, the interviews with the honey badgers. And I really feel like these were women who had stepped outside of themselves to take empathy and sympathy with issues that weren't even their own. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is probably the best example of what we should be doing, not necessarily championing um, causes, you know, directly, but having empathy and sympathy for people outside of our own group. Yeah. And being able to step across the line and say, I get it. I understand. And, and to know the issues well enough to talk about them intelligently, which all of those women did. And even as Christian, I mean, we talked about uh, the idea of social justice warriors being in the church. It, it's uh, it's certainly uh, easy to accidentally swap the issue with the with the purpose of of glorifying God. Mm-hmm. But that's the nature of the fall. Yeah, is we we are constantly needing to. Uh, to write ourselves and look at look at uh, Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> uh, that road just seemed like every every third page he had gone off the narrow path, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, that's a good representation of how easy it is for us to to latch onto the wrong thing and and forget uh, forget our commission. And and I think that you know the the SJWs they're in the church, their hearts are in the right place. For the most yeah. part, their their hearts are not focused on God, so I guess technically they're not in the right place. But they they think that what they're doing is right, you know, going after a social wrong and fixing it. But as I've already reiterated over and over again, you cannot fix one wrong without revealing another wrong, and mm-hmm. and then it just turns into this uh, this avalanche of wrongs that have to be fixed before justice is obtained, and there is no earthly justice. There is no earthly justice that will, you know, be the final end and then we reach utopia and everybody's perfect and everybody's happy and everybody's equal and content. You can strive after that forever and we will never reach it. And You'd be in an endless game of social justice whack-a-mole. Right? <laughs> exactly. Social justice whack-a-mole. 
And I understand the point of wanting to fix something for somebody and making their life better. But the only thing that will really bring them true contentment in life is the gospel. So if if you're trying to fix this problem over here and you aren't giving them the gospel, then you're just setting them up for failure. Yeah, and, and the the gospel doesn't solve all their problems. No. In fact, it, it might it, even bring more problems into their life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it it helps us to have the correct attitude towards our problems. Yeah. Precisely. And and I think that that's why that verse I said earlier was so equalizing because slave or free, obviously the free person has the better deal in life. The slave is not even doesn't even own himself, you know. Mhm. But in Christ, and and this is actually demonstrated in the New Testament, in Christ, the slave and the free are brothers in Christ. And that doesn't make the slave not a slave anymore, but it gives him uh, an identity outside of that slavery. Paul even pleads with the, oh, I can't remember the name. Philemon. The the owner to to accept his slave back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'd run away. And the... I think in that day, if your slave ran away, you had the authority and the right because he's your property to kill him. I mean, that was... I think you're right. And it's one of those situations where, you know, hey, your slave ran away. Uh, He's returning to you. Accept him as a brother in Christ because now you are both Christians. And Mm -hmm. I can't imagine... But he doesn't say free him. No. He says accept him. And I guess this is my point again. And and I've said it once, is like if we went into the poorest neighborhood in Chicago and we handed out money, the money doesn't fix anything. But if we go into the poorest streets in, in Chicago and we hand out the gospel, the gospel can breed contentment and peace within a warring society, warring culture. And that peace and contentment, whether or not it helps people out of their poverty, will give them a different perspective on their poverty. And God gives us things in our lives to make us stronger and adversity makes us stronger. And if we don't accept the burdens in our life, you know, that, that God gave us to teach us how to depend on him, then we're not better Christians because we're not letting the trials of the life uh, test us and make us purer. The hardships that everybody deals with in one way, shape or form. And, when I think about that, it's like this this whole thing of go back to the covetous thing is if you're looking at your brother with coveting what your brother has, you're not taking into account that you, that person over there is probably looking at someone else. They don't mm-hmm. think they have everything and they're looking at someone else and coveting what they have. And it's just that that constant never being happy with where you are and... That just doesn't work for Christians and it yeah. shouldn't work for Christians. And we have the answer to that because if, if everybody had Christ and everybody had the Holy Spirit in their lives, then that's the closest we can get to utopia on this side of heaven. Yeah. You know, there was uh, one other thing that uh, that we wanted to talk about with the red pill, and that was uh, uh, one of the few ways that religion is actually brought up um, <laughs> is... Uh, in reference to uh, to circumcision, but <laughs> since that topic makes me cringe, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to talk about it. <laughs> One of the issues that the feminists are always talking about, and it doesn't really happen much in Western culture, but in Muslim cult- cultures, it happens a lot, is female circumcision. 
and it's this massive big issue in the in the feminist movement. Mm. But what's very rarely addressed here in the states, which is a common practice, is male circumcision, which is a biblical. I mean, it goes all the way back to God telling Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise all the men in his household. And and then again, when Moses brought the people out of Egypt, they called for circumcision again. They went through the whole camp and circumcised everybody because they had gone through a couple generations without doing it. And the circumcision was treated as one way for the Israelites to set themselves apart from everybody else. And it was also a symbol of the covenant between them and God, because there was this special covenant there. And in the New Testament, it was addressed by the early church. And the early church had to deal with this because the the first Christians, and I think a lot of people forget this, the first Christians were Jews. Christianity was originally a sect of the Jewish uh, faith. And it branched out because God gave the disciples and the apostles a calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it went beyond the Jewish community. And there were Jewish Christians who were telling the Gentiles, well, you're joining the Jewish community by following Christ. So therefore you must be circumcised. And it became this whole debate in the early church and the disciples called like a convention in Jerusalem to discuss the Mm -hmm. matter. And they came out with the, this, Sorry, I just pictured somebody cosplaying for <laughs> a convention for the <laughs> Jerusalem convention. Oh, yes, the convention has kind of changed words, hasn't it? I'm going as Moses. Here are my tablets. <laughs> but they addressed this matter um, back to the to the um, Gentile churches, and yeah, it it was a very serious. It was very serious. It, it really, it really was the thing that that took it from Christianity being um, just a evolution, <laughs> if you'll excuse the word choice, <laughs> of uh, Judaism of Israel to really being, you know, the primary purpose of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know the. Christians became their own thing yeah. with that conference w- right. and with that issue. Right. And so in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen through 19, it says, was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision, which I'm sitting here going, how do you undo a circumcision? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think now, like within the last 20 years, I think they actually have circumcision uh, reversal, reversal uh, for men. Uh, um, but, uh, I certainly, ugh. yeah, it's probably just as bad as getting circumcised to begin with. Yeah. And then it continues. Sorry. That was kind of a, in putting something there into scripture. Um, was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo a circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter. And uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. So they basically took circumcision out of the religious um, necessity of the Christian church. And they, they said, you don't have to do it. So strangely enough, Western Judeo-Christian culture has held on to male circumcision. We just do it automatically on babies. And I know men of your generation pretty much were all circumcised. And it's only now that it's becoming an issue and people are talking about whether they should just do it by default when babies are born. I think I saw, 
a YouTube video that that actually talked about circumcision and and I want to say that from uh, about you know the the time of the apostles through the Middle Ages, circumcision actually dropped off precipitous, precipitously, mm-hmm. um, and was then picked back up when the church came in, in the the medi- medieval times when the church was you know in it, its full power as a, a institute of man instead of an institute of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes. I think it was today I found out, which is a a good pod, a daily podcast or, or video cast or vlog or whatever they're called <laughs> nowadays. Um, but uh, it, I, yeah, when I was born, circumcision I think was was still considered a health issue. Mm. And uh, when my sons were born, we were aware that there was not so much of a uh a health concern but uh it wasn't I'm so much a of little, a choice <laughs> yeah I, i'm i'm a little ashamed to admit that uh that i considered the locker room test um you know when they talk about naming your child you you do the playground test mm-hmm. where if you can't imagine yelling out the child's name in the in a uh public playground without getting embarrassed um, the locker room test for guys was whether or not they would be singled out for being circumcised or not circumcised. And, uh, in, for both my boys, we circumcised. Um, but when, uh, my grandson was born, uh, we talked with my daughter about it and the, the attitude has significantly changed. And probably it has because of, you know, some of the awareness that's come out of, you know, things like the red pill where people are, uh, they actually picture a, a circumcision in the red pill uh, on a, on an infant and talked about a, a little child that was, um, had a, a botched circumcision. And mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I can't even imagine I mean, if you're not going to do it properly, don't do it at all. I mean, that's... Yeah. But I think that they raised some interesting points in the red pill about some of the some of that stuff. I mean, like, why is female circumcision, which is absolutely atrociously horrible. I mean, what, what I know about female circumcision, it's a completely different thing from what, what male circumcision is. And it's specifically done in in Muslim cultures in, in order to reduce a woman's ability to have pleasure in sex. Mm-hmm. And that... Yeah, it's it's malicious. It's malicious. And I don't see any rationale for female circumcision, but I'm beginning to wonder whether there really is any rationale for male circumcision other than the religious, which was done away with under Christian terms. It, yeah, it's traditional. It's traditional, I, yeah. I think, I think it's established uh, solely as a tradition. Mm-hmm. And nothing else. Yeah. So, and and you're right that that, you know, I, and I imagine we may even get some flack from some of our listeners. I don't know how strongly people feel about that. There are a lot of Christians who who really toe the line when it comes to the, the Jewish law. Um, and, you know, they eat kosher and, and follow the Sabbath and do all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm not going to speak out against that because each have have to be convicted as as the holy spirit convicts them and if the holy spirit has convicted them to follow the law they just need to be careful because 
it's cautioned again and again in the New Testament that if you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. So following yeah. the law is is a very difficult line to tread. That that was why Christ came was to to fulfill the law so that we didn't have to follow it anymore because the law proves to us that we can't do it on our own. So I just caution you in that aspect of following the law. But it, I mean, if if God has convicted you on those matters, then that's that's your conviction. I'm not gonna fight you on that. Yeah, I think we've pretty much beat this whole. We swallowed the pill. <laughs> well, we did swallow the pill. I don't know whether we chose the blue pill or the red pill. <laughs> there were so many metaphors in this. Uh, she kind of mixed her metaphors because they, the the um, the red pill title came from um, a couple different aspects of the men's rights movement. So there was like two separate mm-hmm. um, groups that use it. And it comes from the movie The Matrix, which I'm assuming we both have seen. I've seen it. Oh, yes. I, I know that back when I originally, when we originally started the podcast with Daniel Lewis, it was one of his least favorite movies. He did not like The <laughs> Matrix at all. Interesting. And it is rated R, so I had to see it, not in the theaters, because I don't watch the rated... The original was? Yeah, I'm pretty sure The Matrix is rated I R. Know, I know the sequels were... I didn't know the original one was. Yeah, it's rated R, so I, it was one that I didn't see in the theaters and had went for quite a while without seeing but i think i may even have seen it edited for television the first time hmm. but yeah it's um it's this whole concept of you're living in a fantasy world and you can either take the blue pill and continue in the fantasy or you can take the red pill and be flushed from the fantasy into the harsh reality and that is you know i guess the concept of you can either just live with what's going on and turn a blind eye to it and pretend like it doesn't exist, or you can swallow the red pail and address the circumstances. And I don't know in, in this podcast, this ep- these episodes that we've done in this discussion, whether we are saying take the blue pill or the red pill. I think we were, <laughs> we were trying to, I guess, address this whole thing from a sort of uh, outside from a, like a higher level looking down at it. And that's the way God looks at us. So maybe that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, is the blue pill being content with your situation as neither slave nor free? Uh, I don't know, because the blue pill would be pretending like the situation doesn't even exist, which I don't think finding contentment and and living with it is ignoring oh, yeah. it. Good point. I, I think... W- that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> That's a discussion for another. The other <laughs> metaphor that was in the documentary was the um, rat falling down the rabbit hole, which is from Alice in Wonderland. It was the whole um, that that like the titling and the crediting are were all done with this woman falling, 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 falling. It's, I do want to point out that 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 symbolism was also heavy in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a fall. Def- yeah, they have the the white rabbit and and. Uh, Morpheus talks about uh, the red pill going down the rabbit hole and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen The Matrix in a really long time. I have to see it again just to remind myself of how all that worked. I mean, it was it was cutting edge when it came out, but it's probably... Yeah. <laughs> Bullet time was actually patented. Yeah. You know, and I think I'll, I'll put some of the videos that I've watched um, in our show notes so that people can, if they haven't gone to the Cassie J YouTube video and explored it themselves, there was... Um, one interview I saw Cassie giving that um, really kind of broke my heart because she the the interviewers was talking to her about 
some of the, the decisions that she had to make in making the film. And, and he asked her at one point if he thought that, you know, where she was going to go from here. And, and she basically teared up and, and got choked up saying, I think I've just, I think I've ruined my career. I think it, it that's the end of the line. And because hmm. so many people will not talk to her now. And she lost almost all of her support, all of the people she had to, she had to go out and group fund this, this film because all of her funding sources uh, dried up because of the subject matter. And in talking to this um, friend of mine uh, out in the West coast in, in this two and a half hour conversation, she made the comment too, that one of the reasons why she was finding herself eject, ejecting herself from the the liberal mindset was because her her liberal friends were so unable to listen or hear and were so hateful of things that they didn't agree with that that there was no acceptance no no ability to to hear another perspective and i think cassie yep. cassie ran smack dab into that wall and it and she she honestly has nowhere nowhere to go from there and i i feel for her because we all fight against some of that. And uh, I guess the best we can do is, as we've been saying over and over again in this episode, sharing the gospel is the most important thing. Maybe she'll come up and listen to this discussion on her documentary. I mean, what Christians feel like when they, when they watch her documentary. Yeah. She can be accepted in our community because if she, if we could share the the gospel with her, if, if she could understand what Christ did for her on the cross, that she is a sinner and that it's that sin nature that causes all of these inequalities in the world and all of these injustices. It's, it boils down to sin and we, we all are, we are all our sinners and it all boils down. It's just the sin natures butting against each other. And that that's where all of this comes from. And if she could come to an understanding that all she has to do is repent as a sinner and turn to Christ and he can give her purpose and meaning in life. And he can even give her her next project and an acceptance into a community that will never turn its back on her. And I just pray that that Christ will reach into her life and will reach into the lives of the men that we saw in this documentary. They are real people with real problems and Mm -hmm. Some of them have been dragged through the gutter and that's why they are MRAs is because they, they, they have faced some of the vilest part of, of, uh, I guess, gender, gender relations and they've come out on the, on the bad end of it and you feel for them. And so I guess the best thing we can do at this point is pray for all of these people. Um, like I said, they're real people. It's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Pray for these people and pray that they that somebody enters their lives who can share the gospel with them because that is the only resolution to the conflicts that we saw. And with that, <laughs> we would love to know what you thought of the red pill or just of our discussion of the red pill if you didn't go watch it yourselves. You can join us in our Facebook discussion group. It's Are You Just Watching? Just search for it on Facebook and you will mm-hmm. find uh, both our page and our group. Uh, I think we're pretty much the only things with that name on Facebook, which is nice. And um, You know what? I don't think we actually said it in, in the second half of this recording. Uh, the Red Pill is available on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Uh, as of this recording. I know we mentioned it. 
uh, episode and, 82, but I don't think we mentioned yeah. it this one. Yeah, um, you can definitely uh, watch it there, or you can just uh, help yourself to the uh, uh, numerous uh, unedited interviews that she's released as raw files mm-hmm. on her Facebook page, which quite honestly, without the spin, they're actually fun to watch. There's There's a lot of really interesting information. There was one video I watched where they talked all about um, the gender roles in the family and that the, the, the whole reason why we have gender roles in family is for the protection of, and the rearing of children. And when you're so busy, um, fighting between the sexes, that it's the children that suffer the most. And I, I thought that was, a, I mean, most of that did not make it into the documentary. It was a very interesting interview. Um, so there's a lot of really great in-depth interviews that she posted on her Facebook page. So I re- really encourage, and those are free. So as long as you want to watch the advertisements so you can go to the, our discussion group you can comment on the show notes which will be at are you just watching dot com slash 83 you can call us at 903-231-2221 and leave a voicemail email us at feedback at are you just watching dot com uh subscribe rate and review us on itunes i believe there are other some other buttons you can push that will get you our feed on android and clamor it um i see them on our pages here i don't not familiar with either of those myself but somebody might need those so you can get to them from our website Mm -hmm. you can follow me on twitter at eve franklin and i'm on twitter at renchepley r-e-n-c-h-e-p-l-e and we want to thank you so much uh especially to our patrons on patreon uh, that are giving us monthly gifts. Uh, that is uh, Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II, and our our newest Patreon subscriber, Amanda John. So thank you so much all, to all of you for your monthly support. We really appreciate it. And I really would ask our, our listening audience to consider also becoming our patrons. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash are you just watching uh, and uh, put in a small monthly gift for us and we would highly appreciate it. Thank you very mm. much. <clears throat> we do not incur a ton of expenses, but we do maintain a website and, and a membership and a network and such things have feeds. And so we would appreciate yeah. your support. I think that's it. I, we don't, yep. we don't know what we're going to record on next. Uh, we'll, we'll take something upbeat. I hope. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, there's probably going to be a lot of movies coming out this summer, so I'm sure we can pick something. Yeah. If you have any suggestions or things you particularly want to hear us talk about, feel free to uh, add that when you're giving us um, comments and the various locations I've already said. And thank you so much for listening. I am E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.